Help. Hello, welcome to this mini-series from the MDT podcast team, covering some of the more common issues encountered when working with older adults. Each session is structured around a clinical question, and our aim is to help you approach the issue like a geriatrician. The best part is that they're all about 10 minutes long. I'm Alice O'Connor, and joining me remotely are Ian Wilkinson and Joe Preston. Hello, I'm Ian Wilkinson. I'm a consultant geriatrician who works at Surrey and Sussex Healthcare NHS Trust down in East Surrey. Hi, I'm Joe Preston and I'm a geriatrician in South London. This session is all about bone health. Mrs Smallbone has fallen over and fractured a pubic rami on one of her vertebrae. My consultant has seen her and she's definitely just for conservative management. We wondered if it, she ought to be moved to a care of the elderly ward. As geriatricians, we see this kind of thing quite often. Depending on where you work, the older adults team may or may not look after all older people admitted with fractures, um, or sometimes may only get involved in certain aspects of their care if they've got an unresolved medical issue. But fear not, here are five things that you can easily do for any older person who has a fracture. Number one, pain relief. We sometimes get so caught up in thinking about the management of fractures that we forget they hurt. If someone is unable to move properly because of pain, their recovery will be delayed. So number two is check the serum calcium and vitamin D levels. These will have implications for your diagnosis and the treatment of osteoporosis. It's also important to check your renal function, to check the actual diagnosis, make sure they've not got renal bone disease or something. Um, And also it's worth checking thyroid function and B12 levels and taking a really good history. Number three, while some are still in hospital, it's important to think about whether they might be at risk of further fractures. We'll go into a little bit more detail on how to do this and work out someone's fracture risk later on. Number four, older people with almost any fracture will require a physio assessment, so it's really important to involve the MDT early on. This can be done on surgical and orthopaedic wards. The idea that people need to go to a care of the elderly ward for MDT input is a myth. Number five, once you've calculated the fracture risk, you may want to go on and start some medication to reduce the fracture risk. And we'll go over drug treatment at the end of this session. Osteoporosis is a disease caused by reduced bone mass and deterioration of bone structure, making the bones brittle and prone to fracture. Bone health depends on a balance between the action of osteoblasts, which build up the bone, and osteoclasts, which cut away the bone. The balance between these two is maintained by the parathyroid hormone and vitamin D. Vitamin D deficiency causes a reduced bone density that is called osteomalacia. Your bone density normally reduces with age. Year on year it gets a bit less, especially in postmenopausal women. But vitamin D deficiency will also make this much more significant and is quite nicely reversible really. Osteoporosis causes around 9 million fragility fractures worldwide every year. A fragility fracture is where a bone breaks when it shouldn't. You might expect someone to break bones falling down the stairs, but a low impact fall shouldn't lead to a large bone fracture. For example, a fall from standing height causing a hip or vertebral fracture. Fragility fractures cause significant morbidity due to pain and disability, and hip and vertebral fractures are associated with reduced life expectancy. Theoretically, you could calculate someone's fracture risk as sort of being the sum of their bone density, their falls risk, and then the, or their chance of falling over really, and then the force or frequency of the falls that they're having. 
However, in practice, this is pretty difficult to calculate. So you just need to think through those different elements, the bone density, how often they fall and the force of the falls. As part of a thorough assessment, you should be thinking about fracture risk in any men over the age of 75 and any women over the age of 65, and particularly anyone that has any risk factors for osteoporosis, such as a family history of fragility fractures, um, rheumatoid arthritis, a high alcohol intake or as a smoker, or Parkinson's disease. This is especially true for anyone who has a history of falls, previous fragility fractures, a family history of hip fracture, long-term or frequent steroid use, or any other known cause of secondary osteoporosis such as Cushing's, celiac disease or hyperparathyroidism. There are a few tools that you can use to quantify someone's fracture risk. One is the FRAC score, which is available online from Sheffield University. This is aimed at medical professionals and gives you the option of entering the patient's bone mineral density score if you know it. The fracture risk is reported along with a recommended action to take, which might include sending the patient for a bone scan to measure their bone mineral density. But just bear in mind that they need to be able to get onto a table and lie still for that. The Q fracture score is quite easy for patients to do themselves and the results are presented in a layperson-friendly format, showing their risk of having a fracture over the next 10 years. Before jumping straight to medications, it's worth thinking and looking at some of the lifestyle measures that people can take to improve their own bone health. I think most significantly, reducing alcohol intake and stopping smoking and ensuring that you have enough calcium in the diet are key first steps. There is a dietary calcium calculator available online, and we'll put a link to this in the show notes. Patients can do this themselves if they've got internet access. It's quite detailed though, and they probably need to keep a food diary for a week or two beforehand to do it accurately. We also advise regular load-bearing exercise, so not things like swimming or cycling. But there's no point prescribing exercise if you don't know what that person can realistically do. So you need a physiotherapy assessment to work out what to do next. They'll be able to check someone's posture, their muscle strength and balance, as well as their level of pain and functionality in order to come up with exercises appropriate for that for that person and for the injury that they've sustained as well. Strength and balance training has been shown to reduce the risk of falls, which indirectly reduces the risk of fractures. Resistance training has been shown to be good for sarcopenia, low muscle mass, as well as osteoporosis. The Royal Osteoporosis Society have produced some guidance on exercise, and we've put a link to this into the show notes. Our summary is that the advice is as follows. People with osteoporosis should do more rather than less physical activity. The benefits of doing exercise outweigh any potential risks. And people who have painful vertebral fractures should be given prompt guidance on how to adapt their movements for daily activity and how they can do exercises to improve their posture and reduce their pain. When starting any medications for osteoporosis, it's really important to check the calcium and vitamin D are replete first, otherwise they won't work. The initial treatment of choice is usually an oral bisphosphonate, such as resiginate or alandronic acid. Then these work to reduce the osteoclast activity, so the cells that are cutting away the bone. Adherence to these drugs, however, is variable, and up to 50% of people stop taking them, usually due to GI side effects. But this can be improved a bit by following the administration guidelines closely, so any patient started on an oral bisphosphonate should have a follow-up to check up on that. 
Both resigenate and alendronate need to be taken at least weekly for three years in order to work, although you do get some effect after the first year. So if someone's not tolerating them, you might want to think about using an intravenous bisphosphonate instead. Zolendronic acid can be given yearly as injections and usually avoids the GI side effects. Beyond that, the options are things like dunosumab, which is a monoclonal antibody which inhibits the osteoclast formation and function, and teriparatide, which is essentially parathyroid hormone. These are two options that usually require some input from a rheumatologist before they could be started. That's all for today's session, but have a look at the show notes on our website at www.thehearingaidpodcasts.org.uk for links to the various resources we've mentioned such as the Dietary Calcium Calculator and the Fracture Risk Scores. We've also done a full-length podcast episode on bone health, which is Series 2, Episode 3. The MDT podcast and learning resources are free to use and cover a wide range of topics concerning older people, from safe exercise to safeguarding. You can also check out the rest of this mini-series for some more bite-sized learning. And we hope that this episode of Help has been a help. Help.